get your Bible open to John chapter 20. How many believers are in the room? Where are the believers? There they are. All right. Now listen, the only place you will find a majority of believers is when we gather together in church because uh, you walk out into the world and you'll find a vast majority of people think you're nuts because you believe some really unbelievable stuff. And uh, I want to introduce you to a man in the scripture that was an unbeliever and uh, he moved from an unbeliever to a believer within a week of the resurrection. So we talk a lot about what happened on Easter Sunday morning. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened on Easter evening, that very first evening there. And uh, we're going to be, get introduced to this guy named Thomas. Now we're going to pick up the story here in John chapter 20, verse 19. Read along with me. And I've even done you a favor this morning. We put the scripture up on the screen for those of you that forgot to bring your Bible. Verse 19 says this, on the evening of that day, of that Easter Sunday. So Easter sunrise, this is the Easter sunset of the very first Easter. Jesus is resurrected on that morning, and then the scene shifts to that evening. On that evening, on that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so we're introduced to this fearful group of disciples. I mean, these guys are quaking in their boots. They do not know what has just happened. I mean, they've just crucified their best friend, their mentor, the one they've learned to do life from. And they are in a room locked, lights out, shades drawn because they fear they're next. Because if they crucified Jesus, then probably the next people they're coming after is the people that followed him. And so these guys are fraidy cats. I mean, they are confused. And in the midst of that, Jesus walks in the room. Now, it's interesting that it says that they locked the door. Now, men have been trying to invent locks to keep Jesus out for 2,000 years. And you may be here this morning and you're like, and I, these, I just don't know if I can buy all this stuff. I mean... It's really hard to believe that God makes dead people live, and, and yet I see all these people around here that seem pretty excited about that. And, and listen, can I, just, can I just encourage you this morning? First of all, if you are an unbeliever, you, you are in the right place here this morning. I, I guarantee you, one thing is true about every person in this room. At some point, everybody in this room was an unbeliever. Nobody is born believing this stuff. I mean, you get introduced to it, right? And along with Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny comes Jesus Christ. And there's a point at which you just, well, thank you so much. I just believe in all that stuff. You just kind of believe in everything. But if you are a thinking person, you should go on a curious search to see if there's any evidence for this stuff. Listen, you should believe in Christianity only if it's believable. Is there any evidence for this stuff? Now, a lot of people say that faith and reason cannot coexist. I mean, those are just two different worlds, and they don't come together. That is simply not true. As a matter of fact, the more I have studied, the more that I have read, the more I have thought about this stuff, I confidently believe it takes more faith 
not to believe in Jesus Christ as the risen Son of God than it takes for us to believe him. And yet here are these disciples, they don't know what to believe. Jesus walks in the room, and I want you to notice here, Jesus said, I am sending you. This was the great commission. He's sending these guys out of the room. You can't stay in the room. You can't have a holy huddle. You got to go tell people, I have risen. So he sends them out. Do you know who he sent them to? He sent them to one of their own because one of them was missing. Now, we know Judas was missing. He betrayed Jesus, and he's gone by now. But there's another one missing. And we read about him picking up the story in verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Where was Thomas? I don't exactly know where he was, but I, I do know where he was in his heart and his mind. He was heartbroken. He was disappointed. And maybe he just kind of threw up his hands and says, forget this stuff. He didn't want to be around believers. Maybe you're kind of like that and you don't really know how to believe this stuff and you're really uncomfortable this morning because you are surrounded by a bunch of crazy unbelievers or uh, crazy believers and you feel a little uncomfortable and you, you may want to distance yourself. And Thomas was disappointed. Now, Thomas, it, it's interesting. It tells us what his name means. The name Thomas means twin. Is there anybody in here that's a twin? Are you a twin? You should be able to identify with Thomas. Is there anybody in here named Tom? Thomas? Tommy? I, Thomas is my favorite disciple because I share a name with him. Did you know that my name is Tommy? A little Gospel City trivia this morning here. Okay, my first name is Tommy. My second name is Trent. And I, I like Thomas. Now, what is the adjective that we always put in front of the name Thomas? What, what do we know him as? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. Would you like somebody to identify you by the worst eight days of your life? There was really only eight days where he doubted. And this is one of those days. Jesus has been crucified. He had the expectation that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom. He was going to kick out the Romans. He was going to remove all political oppression and relieve all suffering and pain for all of God's people in the world. That was his expectation. And yet his Savior died in pain and suffering on the cross. He's disappointed. And, and that really is the first stage of belief. We're going to look at five stages of belief as we kind of work our way through this story here. And that's where God finds all of us. At some point, you realize life stinks. George Barner, the, the famous researcher, he did a national poll. And he asked people, if you could ask God one question, what would you ask him? Overwhelming response was this. Why would a good and loving God allow suffering in the world. And for many people, that is the obstacle to belief. They cannot believe that a good and powerful God would allow pain and suffering in the world. And that just stops people in the tracks right there. It's like, I can't believe in that. If there was a God that loved us and cared, then he would fix it. If I was God, I would fix it. Well, the problem is you're not God. And you don't know everything God knows. Let me ask you this. If you're a person that stumbles over that question, do you understand that the fact that you recognize there is such a thing as good and evil is evidence for the existence of a good God? Where did that come from? If you say there is no God, you're left to, you know, survival of the fittest. 
and the strong eat the weak, and there's nothing wrong with that. But yet, when the strong do eat the weak, you look at that as like, that's not right. That's not moral. That's not good. Where did that come from? That came from the image of God stamped on your soul. And so Thomas didn't know the rest of the story, just like you and I don't know the rest of the story, that God can use the suffering for good purposes, just like he used the suffering of Jesus for the good purposes of getting us into favor with him. And so we all start out with disappointment. And then a lot of times we move to the next stage, and that's doubt. Notice what happens next in verse 25. So the other disciples told him, and by the way, do you see the word told in verse 25? In the original language, the, the verb tense is, they kept on telling him. So these guys go and they find Thomas and they say to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So do you get the tense of what's going on here? The disciples are saying, we've seen the Lord. Thomas says, no, you haven't. Yes, we have. No, you haven't. Yes, we have. For eight days, this went on. <laughs> Arguing. And... And maybe that's you. It's like, I, this, is, this is unbelievable stuff. There's a Santa Claus. No, there isn't. Maybe that's you. But understand that these guys, as much as they were passionate about what they believed, even they couldn't convince Thomas. Do you have any crazy friends like that that have just tried to convince you that Jesus is alive and you should follow him and you should go overcome all the doubts and just they put the pressure on you all the time. They're doing that because they love you and they want, um, they want you to know what they know. They want you to see what they've seen. But even these guys knew they couldn't convince him and Thomas actually makes a, makes a very reasonable request. He's like, I want evidence. And that is a very reasonable request. If there is no evidence that Jesus is alive, then you should not be here today. You should already be at the buffet. Beat the church crowd, you know, on Easter Sunday morning. But if he's alive, then you should worship him. And so Thomas just says, I need some evidence. And until I get evidence, I will never believe. I think everybody kind of enters the world like that. Nobody's born into the world believing. I just kind of was retracing my faith journey. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up hearing the gospel. I met, I started coming to church when I was about 15 years old and I heard all this stuff and it really rocked my world and I, well, I had to wrestle with it a little bit and finally I became a believer. But I thought about my journey. I think I was born into the world actually believing I was God. Now, if you're a parent, you know your children think they are God, right? See, that's the first stage. We, we, we come into the world and I believe I am God. Wait, what is God? God is someone who demands and deserves worship. Isn't that the way you live most of your life? Thinking the rest of your children and your spouse should bow down and worship every time you tell them and you should be able to tell them to obey and they immediately obey. That's, see, that's a position only reserved for God. Or this is the other thing about God. God controls everything. Have you spent your life trying to control everything and everybody? Yeah, see, you, everybody's kind of born into the world. You kind of believe you're God. But then you realize you really don't have much control and nobody's really bowing down and worshiping you. So you move to the next phase and you believe there is no God. 
this is about the time you get into eighth grade and you know your biology teacher tells you about evolution and shows you some fossils and and then you know there's science and then then, then the big bane thing but then if you if you're a real if you're a if you're a curious thinker you you have to realize if there was a big bang there has to be a big banger <laughs> right because it, n nothing comes from nothing have you ever noticed, did you notice this in the eighth grade when they showed you the solar system? Have you heard about this, the solar system, it moves? Why does it move? When did it start moving? There has to be a mover that starts the movement. And so as far back as you can go, no, there is no serious sci scientist that believes that everything always existed. They, they, they point to an origin, a creator. And so you, you begin to wrestle like, okay, well, well, all right. Well, maybe there's a lot of gods. And really, this is the universal condition of the human heart is we worship many different gods. And they take the form of Krispy Kreme donuts and Netflix and dating partners and all kinds of stuff. And it's gods with little Gs. And anything you look to to satisfy your significance or your um, security, that's what you're looking to for God. And these are good things a lot of times. And marriage and family and, and a career and things like that. But then you realize you lay your head on the pillow and nothing satisfies. And so you're like, oh, there's got to be something else out there. And maybe there is, maybe there is a God. Okay, I'm sure there's, there's a God, maybe the great uncaused cause, but he's, he's not personal. He's out there somewhere, but who can know him? And I don't, you know, he just, he doesn't really care. Maybe he wound the whole thing up and got it going and just stepped back and we just all do the best we can. But then somebody introduces you to this guy named Jesus. This guy who claimed to be God, who came to come from heaven and live as God in the body of a man, and he was perfect. And he was nailed on the cross, and then three days later, God the Father rose him from the dead. And you, he's like, is there, is there any evidence for that? Listen, if he is who he says he is, you should worship him, but you cannot give him your passive approval. The, the people that actually met Jesus during the 33 years he lived on the earth, they had one of three reactions. Number one, terror. Number two, fear. No, that's the same one, isn't it? Terror and fear. I'm forgetting my three reactions. Terror, worship was the other one, but nobody responded with indifference. Everybody had to give uh, some type of intentional response to him. You either run from him in fear or you bow to him in worship, but nobody's allowed to give passive approval to Jesus. And so you finally might get to the point where you believe in Jesus because of this third phase here of discovery. Notice what happens to Thomas. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them and although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do you see what a gracious, loving act this was? If you're a doubter, Jesus wants to say to you the same thing he said to Thomas. Here's evidence. And rather than answering all of your curious questions, what does Jesus do? He points to the evidence of his love for you 
He points to the evidence of his resurrection. You see, Christianity is not based on irrefutable arguments that can answer all the questions. Christianity is based on the undeniable evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1963, there was a little 14-year-old girl who was buried in Greenwood Cemetery in Birmingham, Alabama. She was one of the four girls that was killed in the white racist bombings of 16th Avenue Baptist Church there in Birmingham. And her family grieved and mourned, and they laid her to rest there in Greenwood Cemetery. Many years later, in 1998, the family had realized the, the cemetery had not been kept up, and it was in disrepair, and they decided it wasn't a proper resting place for Addie Mae Collins, the little girl. And so they, they made a drastic decision. They decided to disinter her body and move her to a beautiful cemetery across town. But when the workers began to dig, they made a shocking discovery. The grave was empty, and Addie Mae was not there. Now, of all the possible explanations of why she wasn't there, no one seriously considered the idea that Addie Mae had resurrected from the dead. They found out later that they actually were digging in front of the headstone instead of the back of the headstone where she was actually buried. They, they later found that, and not until 2017 did they find this out. But the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is more than we have an empty tomb. As a matter of fact, even atheists don't deny the tomb was empty. Nobody seriously says that. The question is, is it reasonable to believe he actually rose from the dead? And the evidence is simply this. He appeared to many people after his resurrection, not the least of which was these disciples and Thomas. And he shows him. You can see the marks. You can touch him. And so there's evidence. Some people say, well, these guys must have been hallucinating. All of them? 500? Mass hallucination. Other people say, well, they must have been lying to make up a good story. People lie on the, all the time. Why do people lie? They lie to make their lives easier. These guys, their lives got harder. So much so that they all died martyrs' death, never denying the truth that they had seen the risen Lord. And so I'm saying to you, if you have doubts, allow God to move towards you all the evidence you need is available to you. If you would get off of Netflix and read a few books and think seriously about the evidence of the risen Lord, you would find all the evidence that you need. What, what is belief? Let's give a definition of belief. What are we talking about? If you're going to move from unbelief to belief, what is it? Here's the definition. Belief is the most rational response to the self-disclosure of God through these four things, creation, human history, scripture, and the person and work of Jesus Christ. God wants to be known. God wants to be worshiped. And so do you know what he's done? He has disclosed himself to human beings through these four things, creation. Psalm 19 says, 
The heavens are shouting the glory of God. Day unto day they utter speech telling us there is a creator. That's what we call general revelation. But then beyond that, all through human history, God has broken in and worked among his people, not the least of which are the Jewish people, which still are a people together today in their promised land even though everything tells us they shouldn't exist, it's a miraculous work that God has done preserving his people to keep his promise that we read about in scripture. And then scripture is the very breath of God breathed out, inspired, so that we can know the will and the ways of God preserved for us in these 66 books collected in what we call the Bible. And then finally, the most definitive way God has spoken is through the person of Jesus Christ, the living word of God. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that long ago and it many times in many ways God spoke but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he created the world. And so everything points to Jesus. All the evidence you need is there to believe. But here's what you have to do. You have to make a decision. Will you believe? Notice at the end of verse 27 what Jesus said to Thomas. Very simple. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And again, the tense is this. Stop going on disbelieving. Start continually, every day, believe, believe, believe. And Jesus tells him, it's not just that you have enough evidence, I'm giving you a command. Understand this, belief is a command to be obeyed. And if you do not obey the command to believe, you will live forever outside of the realm and the love and the mercy and the grace of God. But not only is belief a command to be obeyed, belief is a gift to be received. You see, it really is impossible in our humanity, in our dead hearts, to believe the unbelievable. And so the Holy Spirit gives us this gracious, gracious ability to have our eyes open to believe something that sounds so unbelievable. And for those of us that are believers, we can point back to a time when God started opening our eyes to these things and it was more than Easter Bunny, it was more than Santa Claus. And based on faith and reason, it's the most reasonable thing to obey the command to believe. And then finally, declaration. Here's how Thomas responded. Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. It was a response of surrender and worship. If Jesus really is who he says he is, it's not just believing that he existed. It's believing everything he ever said about the way I should live my life. And I wrap my life around that and I can't go my own way and I can't make my own decisions. And notice the personal nature of it. It's not just a Lord and a God. It moves from elementary to experiential. It moves from Bible story to my story. My Lord. The word Lord means boss. It means I put myself in a position where I submit to him and daily surrender my agenda to his agenda. 
And Thomas, though he spent eight days doubting, he began a life of believing. My question to you is this. Have you done that? Are you still kind of in the Santa Claus phase of believing in Jesus? Have you seriously wrapped your life around the lordship of Jesus and you are following him and it affects your thinking and it affects your sexuality and it affects your monthly budget. It affects the way you do marriage and family and relationships and whether or not you forgive and how you serve and what your life is about. Thomas' life forever changed, so much so that he obeyed that command. Jesus sent him, tradition tells us, he went to India where he was martyred, speared to death by four swordsmen, never denying his faith in Jesus Christ. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, okay, I'm gonna go home tonight, I'm gonna lock my door. If Jesus shows up, and I can put my hand in his side and I can put my finger in his wounds and I'll believe. Really? Yeah, that's not gonna happen. You know why I know that? Because of the next verse. Jesus said to him this, have you believed because you have seen me? Now, the obvious answer was, well, yeah. That, yeah, I, I, I said I'm never gonna believe it until I see it. Jesus understood that, but notice this. Jesus says there's a group of people, the vast majority of people in the world that are never gonna have that experience. Blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. You know what Jesus is saying? You don't need to see it to believe it. You need to believe it to see it. That is the great hope for all of us who have Bibles, who've read the Bible and the Holy Spirit has opened our heart and we've responded, my Lord, my God, I'm gonna wrap my life around you and I'm gonna move from where I am, a place of unbelief to a place of belief. Have you done that? Have you done that? There's a few believers in here, but you know what? I've discovered that a lot of people that show up on Easter, they're actually unbelieving believers. I mean, yeah, you, you've received Jesus, you're on your way to heaven, and yet, man, your daily life doesn't look like you're believing much of this stuff. Do you know that you are the greatest obstacle for unbelieving unbelievers to believe this stuff? If it hasn't affected your life, why should it affect them? And so some of us need to take another step and, and live a life of mission. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. That's the evidence that you believe that you are willing to go where God wants you to go and do what God wants you to do. This is what I'd like to ask you to do. I want you to stand right now. I'd like you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And in this moment, this is a moment of decision. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Are you a believer? You're like, I think so, I hope so, I don't know. Listen, if you're a believer, it's because you have made the decision to obey the command. Jesus said, do not disbelieve, but believe it's a command to obey and it's a gift to be received. Right now, if you'll open your heart and by faith receive Jesus Christ as Lord and God, 
you can know that you have a home in heaven. Sins are forgiven. You've run out of the grave. Death has no cold on you or claim on you. Are you willing to surrender your life, your sinfulness, your shame to Jesus Christ? In this moment, open your heart. And as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, in just a moment, we're going to sing our final song. I'm going to challenge you to do something super intimidating. We've got some of the least intimidating people in our church back in the foyer. And they would love to greet you if during this next song, you would say, you know what? I walked in here an unbeliever. I'm walking out of here a believer. You know what believers do? Believers find other believers. They want to do life with other believers. We need each other. We need each other to encourage one another to keep believing. And I'm going to invite you just to slip out during this last song. And I know some of you are buried right in the middle of a row and you're going to have to step on people. They're going to love it when you step on their feet because it's going to be an indication that you've moved from unbelief to belief. We've prayed for you all week long. Some of you have no idea. And I know the struggle. It's like, I don't know what people will think, and I don't even know if I'm going to like the people in the back. Listen, all we want to do is pray with you. We want to give you a new believer's kit, get you started in the right journey. We want to connect with you and help you in any way we can. So in this song, I want to ask you to do maybe the most courageous thing you've ever done, just to slip out of your seat and head back through those doors and be greeted by a pastor and some other friends. And we just want to spend a couple of minutes just rejoicing with you. We want to record that decision of your declaration, my Lord and my God, surrender and obedience. I want to pray for you right now. Father, would you come and convince us of things that seem unbelievable until your spirit opens our eyes. Give us the faith to believe you are who you say you are. Allow us to receive it and believe it. My Lord and my God, in Jesus' name, amen.